Well, services are uh, starting a little later than normal, so I'll be concise. <laughs> and uh, we're going to start by reading um, Isaiah chapter 9, one of the famous Christmas passages. I love Christmas because Christmas messages are some of the most joyful. Um, the older I get, the more I love Christmas because the, the more I realise what Christ has done for me, but also what Christ has done for the world. And um, people sing songs like, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. They don't get it. We were at the carols last night. People are singing, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. I didn't think they realised how wonderful that, that is. <laughs> they said, the Lord has come. You know, that's actually something to be grateful for. And um, Christmas just gets more and more meaningful. I remember reading about the guy, I think his name was Philip Brooks, and he was an Anglican priest or something, and he, he lived in Israel, and he, he, he uh, one night, it was Christmas Eve or something, and he came riding on his horse, and he came over the hill, and there was Bethlehem, and the moonlit shone down, and, and he just got a touch of the glory of God, and he wrote that song, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. No, the, you don't need presents for Christmas to be meaningful. I know that's what kids get all excited about, but the longer you live as a Christian, the more you contemplate Christmas from what God has done, the, just the sweeter and the more wonderful it gets. And uh, so we're going to read Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 to 3 and verses 6 to 7. It says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. Stop there. You'll have to just go and watch my Isaiah videos, which haven't come out yet, but they'll be coming out soon. Isaiah chapter 8 and 9. Because in Isaiah chapter 8, it talked about the doom and the, the darkness. It talked about the judgment that was on Israel. In fact, it, especially the judgment was on all the northern tribes of Israel. Anyway, so verse chapter 9 starts by saying the people walking in darkness, which was actually, it had just come after all that terrible prophecy about how God was going to destroy all those northern tribes and judge them and doom and darkness was coming on them. So there was a meaning for them. There's also a meaning for us too. But the meaning for them had to do with those northern tribes that were being punished by the Assyrians. Go watch my Bible videos. But then it said the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Well, you know, those northern tribes of Israel, that was the area around the Sea of Galilee. They were all destroyed by the Assyrians. But when Jesus came, where did he live? <laughs> He lived in that northern area, around the Sea of Galilee, in those northern tribes. The people who had seen great darkness, guess what? They got to experience the coming of the light. So the on-the-ground meaning was, you know, the light of the world came right into there, into that place which was dark and full of gloom. But now we realise it has a much bigger meaning for us as well. Because who are the people that have been walking in darkness? It's us. Without the knowledge of Jesus Christ, you and I were walking in darkness. And in the New Testament, it says that we were delivered out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So that's us. 
So Isaiah 9 has this big, wonderful double meaning, a meaning for, you know, the people living right there at the time, but also a meaning for you. You, without Jesus, you would be walking in darkness. And the prophecy goes on, and let's read verses 6 to 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So that's the Christmas message right there. The child that is born, he was the king. He was the light that has come into the world. Later on, the apostle John wrote about him and said that this light it was to, you know, he talked about the light that came into the world, but the world did not understand it. Well, that light's come into the world, and thank God we do understand it now, at least in part. So I guess we're saying all of that to say Christmas is so wonderful because it's all about the light that came into a dark, dark world. So this passage, it's a Christmas passage. It's also a messianic passage, which means it's all about the Messiah. And in the end, that's what Christmas is. It's a celebration that we've got a Messiah. We've got a king, someone that came into the world. The world is different because of that king. You're different because of that king. I'm different because of that king. Because of that king, we have a church. We have a gospel. We have faith. We have the Holy Spirit. We have a fellowship to belong to. We, we can pray. We can get our prayers answered and so much more. It's all because of Christ. And these are all the things we remember at Christmas time. So we have light. And isn't that a wonderful thing? And I have to say that if you're in faith, if you're in Christ, you have that light inside of you. At least you should. If you're not hiding it, covering it up, ignoring it, pretending it's not there. And um, so what I wanted to do was just greatly shortening my sermon up. But I guess... Talk to the kids, or the younger people, the youth maybe, maybe the young adults. Really to everyone, but I don't want the more mature ones here to think I'm having a go at you because you don't know this. But I hope everyone can hear something today. You have a light. It's inside of you. You're not supposed to cover it up. It's supposed to do something for you, but it's actually supposed to be something you use to do something for others. Jesus said in Matthew 5:16, he said that you should not cover up your light, but you should, you know, do good deeds so that others would see what they are. So we started this message by saying the light came into the world, it's Jesus, you have a light. But now Jesus is saying, shine the light, and the way that others will see this light is by the good deeds that you do. Now recently I heard someone say, a young, a youngish person, say, what, what good is it following God? What has God done for me? Now, I'm sure at times we all have thought a thing like that. I, I don't doubt that every person at times, you know, we all go through our ups and downs in our spiritual life, and when we're in our downs, we wonder, what is the point <laughs> of all this effort we go to, to go to church every Sunday, 
and uh, you know, following the Lord, what has he done for me? Well, the problem with that type of thinking is that the light isn't shining enough to see all that God has done for you. It turns out, what hasn't God done for you? It turns out that God has done so much for you that you can't even see what it is. And you wouldn't even ask that question if you could see. Now, Jesus said in the book of Acts, now I bet you didn't know that Jesus said things in the book of Acts. But in the book of Acts, Paul was right, he was preaching a sermon and he quoted Jesus and he said something that is not recorded in the Gospels, but it's recorded in the book of Acts, a quote from Jesus. And Paul said that the Saviour said, it is better to give than to receive. Well, let's read that whole quote. This is in the middle of one of Paul's sermons. He says, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You should just go and read that whole chapter to get the context. Paul was saying farewell to some people and he knew he wouldn't see them again. And he gave this little message about how he had worked for them, not trying to get anything for himself. And then he quoted the Lord, it is, better to, it is more blessed to give than to receive. At Christmas time, kids think it's more blessed to get than to give. Children just love it. They can't wait until they open their presents. They count the presents under the tree and say, why does my brother have more than me? Because they don't realise that sometimes one present might cost more than another one. So, you know, it's more complicated than just the number. But we're in a house where kids count the number of presents. And um, my wife made a very smart rule for Christmas morning. She said, the last kid to wake up gets the first present. I love that rule. It served us well. And, uh, but because, you know, you get to have a sort of a sleep in on Christmas morning, um, because they're awake really, but they're just staying in bed. Um, but the thing is, kids are so focused on what they're going to get. And it really, everyone is. It's just that as you get older, you just get smarter. Now, as you get older, you love to give too. You know, I know that there are people who are gift givers. My wife's one of those. She just loves to give. Um, Dad's a great gift giver. He thinks at length about every person and the perfect gift for them. I'm one of those people that realises at about 7pm on Christmas Eve <gasps> and goes to the 24-hour survey to see what there's for sale. So... <laughs> uh, <laughs> True story. Uh, <laughs> uh, only happened once. Anyway, but you know, there are people who are not gift givers. But the thing is, as we get older, there are people who love to give. That's true. But, as, but we also love to receive. But as we get older, we do realise that there's something wonderful about giving as well. What God said is, is completely true. It's the complete truth of it. Jesus Christ is the gift of God to us and um, 
Sometimes I've often thought, what did he get out of it? It seemed to me that the Lord didn't get a great deal out of all the effort he went to on our behalf. And uh, you'd say, well, he got himself a church out of it. But, you know, we're not that good of a church. You know, the body of Christ, it's like Moses, you know, leaving Egypt with two million grumblers and complainers. You know, what did Moses get out of it? Not much. And um, Jesus went to all his efforts for you. Well, he, you know, he... He was giving. He wasn't thinking about what he was going to get. It came from a genuine heart of love for you. The heart of Christ. There's something very wonderful about it that blesses the giver. And um, as we appreciate Christmas more, we appreciate the wonder, the wonder there is in giving. Children might not be able to, you know, children know that. I remember as a kid being told in Christmas services, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And I used to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Knew it was the truth, but still just love to, re to receive. It's true. If you're a kid and you just love to get your gifts and you, I understand. But remember the words that I'm saying to you, because as you grow, you're going to see how true they're going to become for you. And my words to you would be, and to everyone, not just the children, Make an effort to give selflessly. Now, this selfless giving is not just the giving of gifts at Christmas because that's, really, that's not really what I'm talking about. What I'm really talking about is the Christian life. If you're a person who approaches the Christian life with the thought, I'm here to love Christ and I'm here to serve him and he's given me a light and I want to shine my light for others, that's an attitude of wanting to give. And that attitude will be, will, the result of that will be you'll be more blessed than if you had I, I only want to receive gift. Sometimes people, they go church shopping. Um, I, someone answered a question on a forum once, you know, what's the perfect church? You know, what, what should be the perfect church? And I wrote a nice big answer for them and posted it back. But the essence of my answer was, if you're looking for the perfect church to join, your attitude's all wrong. That was the essence of my answer. Because you're looking about what's good for you. Your heart's all about the, what do I want? There are certain things you do want to find in a church, of course. You want churches to be a place that preaches the word of God, places with faith. You want a church that has prayer meetings. I mean, there are things to look for in a good church. That's true. But if you're looking for the type of church to be in that's perfect so that all your needs can be met, that's the wrong focus. What you want to do is find a place where you can serve and give. And if there isn't one, or you don't feel that there is one, you need to make one. <laughs> that's the heart of the giver. The heart that says, Lord, I'm here. I have a light to shine. And use your gift. Use your light shine your light so that others will see your good deeds and glorify the Lord. That's the example we see in Christ at Christmas and that's the example of a Christian life at work. I thought I'd show you a few quick photos of the Dead Sea. Who's heard of the Dead Sea? You should have all heard of the Dead Sea. I would love to go to the Dead Sea and float on my back and read a newspaper. You always see pictures of tourists doing that. And um, anyway, we've got, we'll put up a photo of the Dead Sea. It's the lowest point on Earth. It's nearly 400 metres below sea level. You probably can't read that. 394 metres below sea level. So what it means is there's no lower place than that. And because it's an ocean or it's a sea, water flows into it from creeks and rivers but can't flow out. 
So what happens is over time, all these salts and minerals are washing into the, red, the Dead Sea, but the water is evaporating, but the minerals are increasing. So the, this is why when you go to the Dead Sea, you can float because it's so salty. Even around here at the pool shop in Rocky, they sell bags of salt from the Dead Sea. It's probably no different to any other salt, but you know, as you swim in your pool, you can feel more special or something. And, um, but you know, this place has got so much salt, it's unbelievable. And the, the saltier the water gets, the more buoyant it gets. So you can like float on the top. Um, salty water is very buoyant. And if you've got cuts and sores, they really sting. So it's good health-wise. Health People go there for health reasons. But nothing can live in the Dead Sea. It's dead. It's so salty, you know, fish can't swim in there. It's just dead as dead as dead because of the high mineral content. Now, this is an example of you and your spiritual life. The Dead Sea receives all the time. There's always water flowing into the Dead Sea, but nothing flows out. It's a black hole, you could say. You know, it's, it's always wanting to receive something, but never gives anything. And as a result, it's dead. If you're a Christian and your attitude is, what's God done for me? Well, all you're thinking is, what am I going to get all the time? Your focus is on me, not on the light you have that God's given to you, that you need to shine and the good deeds you should be doing for others. And so you're like the Dead Sea, water always flowing in, always trying to get things, but you can't see how much you're receiving because your focus is in the wrong place. So we can, oh yeah, there's another photo, by the way. The second photo is just a bit of a picture of how dead the place is. That's some of the salt along the edge of the Dead Sea. Isn't it fascinating? And um, at the very bottom of the Dead Sea is the old site of Sodom and Gomorrah, and there's a pillar that they've identified as Lot's wife. Probably isn't, but it makes a great tourist destination. And um, it, oh, who wouldn't want to go there? I propose that in three or four years we have a church expedition and we all start saving up our money and we all go have a... Who'd be up for that? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> moving along. Yeah, I'm happy to be the tour guide. And um, we're all going to go and walk King Hezekiah's tunnel. It's a must. You know, bring the Bible alive. Walk the Via Della Rosa. See where Jesus walked, carrying his cross. You know, it's, it's the things that Christ has done for us. Just so wonderful. But yeah, go visit the Dead Sea, see where the Dead Sea Scrolls got found, all of that. And, um, but remember, you can't be receiving only. God's given you a light. You must shine your light for others. And that's a message for Christian life. That's not just a Christmas message saying, hey, give presents and don't only receive them. No, it's a message for Christian life. You've got to be someone that considers others and thinks, what can I do for them? Someone that considers the Lord. Say to the Lord, what can I do for you, Lord? Do you know there are very, very few people in the Bible who've said the phrase, I love you, Lord? Have you ever done a search for the phrase, I love you, Lord, to see who in the Bible said that? I think only one person said it. I think it was King David, and it's in one of the Psalms. He says, I love you, Lord. Well, it's, it's actually rare for people to stop and think of Jesus and say, how can I show you love? Have you ever done that? Or have you just thought that going to church is the Christian thing to do and that's all you've got to do? Read your Bible a few times. No, that's, that's 
not how you love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind. You stop, you contemplate, he's your God. He's, he's a person. He's given everything for you. What can you do for him? Now, so often it seems like he wants you to do something with someone else and by doing it for them, that's showing him love. That seems to be his style. He wants you to love others and that's his way of loving him. Matthew 25 says that, you know, the things you have done for the least of these, you've done it for him. So loving others really is one of the big ways of loving Christ. And um, this week I came across an interesting research paper. Actually, um, Donald Kerr is always sending me these interesting articles. Mostly they're archaeological because he knows I'm interested in that stuff. But I was reading the article he sent this week and then I clicked the link and I clicked the link and I ended up finding this research paper which was about prayer. Now I, I have to tell you this because it's the perfect illustration of what I'm talking about and then we're going to bring this to a conclusion this morning. Over the years there have been a lot of social researchers I guess who come from a point of view where they don't think prayer is a real thing and they do all this research, but they set up the research study in such a way to try to prove that prayer doesn't work. The minute you look at the research, you realise it's the foundation of the study is wrong. And you just throw the research out, it's, it's not been done properly. But I came across this paper that was a research paper into prayer. It was, it was commenced by non-Christians, and it's an ongoing study. It's been in place for 17 years now, and it's interesting because of the results. So what they're doing is they wanted to find a disease that has a known outcome in the lives of humans, and that disease was HIV. So the, research, the medical research on HIV is really well established. They know that when someone gets HIV, the signs and the symptoms and the things that will take place in a person's life, usually the type of time frame that they will take place in, how long the average person will last with HIV before they die, and all of that. And then what they did was they did some research into prayer with this group. They got a, a group of people who all had HIV and they, instead it, the, the research wasn't into people praying for them, it was a research into them being the ones who prayed. And they asked this group, they split them into three, they asked this group to pray for three different things. One third prayed for themselves. One third just prayed for others out there that have needs but with no name. They were just praying you know, without specifics. Lord, praying for others out there, but they didn't know who they were. But this third group, they asked them to pray for others that they knew by name who had specific needs to pray for those specific needs. What they've discovered is that the group that prayed for people specifically by name took twice as long to die. Now, I know that doesn't sound very encouraging when you say it like that, but you've got people here, presumably they're Christians because they're all praying, but some of them might not have been. These are people who are going to die. They've got an incurable disease. They're on a pathway towards death. But the ones who prayed for others and others' needs lived for twice as long. I thought that's a remarkable little illustration into the power of prayer for others. It's also a reminder that we need to pray for each other. And it's also a reminder that if you have personal need, you need to get other people praying for you. And um, I thought to myself that there's some... Now, obviously, that's an ongoing research project. And I think there should be a lot more research done into prayer. 
it's a whole very interesting world that, that Christians ought to get into. But there's something to it. When you, as a Christian, decide you're going to pray for others, you're going to serve others, you're going to give to others, and it, that's a Christian way of life, it blesses you. Most people with the incurable disease were living longer because of their prayers for others. Jesus himself said, um, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I'm going to conclude with reading Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 to 9. Um, this comes out of the letter to the Philippians. Um, Paul was writing to this little church. I think they only had about 30 people in the church at the time he was writing to them. So we get the impression of these big congregations. But I think the church only had about 36 people by the year 100. So at the time he wrote this, probably about the year 50, there was you know, maybe 25 or 30 people in the church. So he's writing to this little group, and there were two of them in the little group that didn't agree with each other, were arguing. Euodia and Syncti, or Syncthi, however you pronounce that name. But anyway, Paul wrote to this little congregation, which was his favourite church. He said, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So this is what I'm saying this morning, about having a mind not focused on yourself. He says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. If Jesus was only thinking of himself... He would not have come. He would have looked down upon them and said, what a hopeless lot they are. And um, he would have thought no more of them than a boy running out and jumping on top of an ant's nest, which I have done when I was a kid. It's so much fun jumping on an ant's nest, squishing about 300 ants, not thinking the least little bit of them, they're just ants. No, but God, he did not look to his own interests. He looked to the interest of all those ants, became one of them, lived among them, not just lived among them, died most excruciating, horrible death. That's where the word excruciating comes from, by the way. Crucifixion, excruciating. That's where we get that word. So none of us know what that feels like, and we don't want to know. Um, Jesus Christ, not looking to his own interests. Well, that is my Christmas message for you this morning. If you're a kid this morning, enjoy your Christmas presents. You know, be grateful for them, but start thinking, how can you live for Christ by doing things for others? If you're a young adult here this morning, if you're anyone listening to me online and you're saying to yourself, what's God ever done for me? Wrong question. <laughs> He's done everything for you. Time to start asking the question, what can I do for God? Start to let your light shine a little and you'll find that the, the, the promise of Christ will work for you 
It is more blessed to give than receive. And look at what happened to Jesus. After he gave himself for us, he was exalted to the highest place. By giving himself the most, he was the most blessed. And you know, to the degree that you're willing to serve, to give, have a heart, contemplate what the Lord wants, you know, consider how you might please the Lord. There's a scripture somewhere. I'm not sure where that is, but that's exactly what it says. Consider how you might please the Lord. Change that focus from what can I get to what can I give? How can I serve? That's the Christmas message for this morning. I'm going to invite the band to come back. We'll sing a closing song. What I'd like to do, though, is bow our heads right now in this moment. And we're going to ask the Lord to forgive us. Because so often we we have had a selfish attitude. So often it has been about me. You know, it's been very much a focus on yourself. Well, we're going to ask the Lord to forgive us. We're going to ask the Lord to help us. We're going to ask the Lord to help our vision to be lifted up. And Lord, that is our prayer this morning. Forgive us for our sin. Forgive us for our selfish focuses. Forgive us, Lord, that it's been about me so often. But Lord, we come to you and I thank you that your mercy is so great that you accept us even with that weakness. And Lord, you said that a bruised reed you would not break, a smouldering wick you would not snuff out. And Lord, the weakest of believers here this morning, Lord, you help. And we thank you for your help. And I pray right now your grace would be given to us that we would live the life of godliness, the life of service, the life of Christ. Right now, Heavenly Father, I pray that you give to everyone a thought of something they can do for you, something they can do for others, a way of shining their light. Heavenly Father, I pray that the question, what can I do for God, just like David asked that question when he wanted to build that temple in Jerusalem, I pray that that question would rest upon our hearts in the name of Jesus. Amen.